please, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. This is the second and possibly uh, the final interview about the UFO Tarot deck before the campaign closes on November 30th. And I realized, being here with um, Susan Demeter and Miguel Romero, that we hadn't really talked about the Tarot aspect of the cards. We've only really been talking about the emphasizing the UFO aspect. And I thought it would be a good idea for us to talk about the Tarot aspect of why we figured this was a nice vehicle and what some of the aspects are. Hello, Susan. Hi. Talking to us from Italy. And Miguel, talking to us from Mexico City. Hi. Hola. (laughs) Susan, hola. When Miguel and I were on a mystery wire with George Knapp, he's the first thing he said was, you know, what what is Tarot? What'd you do this for? And so we had kind of had to describe to him what it was, because most most people think of women in the movies throwing pulling cards out and telling your future. Um, <laughs> Maybe part of Tarot, uh, in a way it can be used, but it's to me and probably to you guys, and especially Susan, it's not. It's probably one percent of what the system is and represents. Maybe Susan can describe, for people that don't know what Tarot is, what is the system and, and wh- how is it developed and why do people use it? How do they use it? And how do you use it? Okay, sure. Well, that's actually uh, quite a, a broad question. Sorry. <laughs> I can, I, that's okay. Well, tarot is, it's, it's complex. It's a, it's a complex card system. It, it contains 78 cards in total. Uh, the origins of Tarot are actually um, debatable. They're, they're somewhat shrouded in mystery. There are some people that feel that they came from uh, the Middle East. They came into Europe uh, through the Crusaders. Uh, there's some that tie it in with ancient Egypt, and there, there may be some truth to that. Uh, I've also heard that uh, Tarot uh, are remnants from Atlantis, but I mean, I I really don't know how you could even prove something like that. Uh, But the the cards, the cards as we as we know them today, uh, they appeared uh, in the Italian Renaissance uh, as a part of a card game called Tarocchi. Uh, and what happened is is that these rich noble people in these areas of, of northern Italy, Ferrara, Milan, Bologna, which is where I live, uh, they commissioned artists to take the card game and um, 
represent them themselves and their families within these beautiful decks of cards. Uh, and this is where you start seeing the first, um, the beginnings of tarot as we know them today. Uh, they evolved the, the idea of, uh, the Taroki spread throughout Europe. And then we see the Marseille deck come out in France, where I think is, if I have my tarot history correct, this is where you really start seeing the beginning of tarot being used for divination. Like you had mentioned, you know, women looking at cards and, and, and reading them and, and giving insights using the cards that way. Uh, they evolved um, to uh, include a lot of esoteric symbolism. Uh, some decks uh, contain uh, the, the, the uh, Jewish mysticism, the Kabbalah, uh, things like that, until you finally get to the um, what our, our deck is somewhat patterned after, which is the, uh, the Waitsmith deck or the Rider Waitsmith deck. And that, that you is probably the most popular, I would say, of all tarot decks that you might see. It's, it's many, um, imitations of, of this deck. Uh, but it's definitely the cards themselves were illustrated by Pamela Coleman Smith. And they're, they seem to be simplistic, but they are, they're very rich in symbolism. And this is where you get the idea of, um, contemplating the cards, contemplating the symbolism within the cards, uh, to gain better insights, um, you know, into yourself or if you're reading for other people, uh, divination, prophecy, this sort of thing. So I think that's pretty much all anyone would really need to know about tarot to kind of get a good idea as to what they are. Um, but they are, they are a form of cardamancy. There are other ways of reading cards. I personally learned, um, with just a regular deck of playing cards from my grandmother who learned how to read cards and tell fortunes and things like that from the displaced person camps, like at refugee camps after the end of the second world war. Um, mm-hmm. so she learned how to read cards from there. And, uh, and so I learned cardamancy on just, just regular playing cards. <laughs> so I had to work my way up uh, to tarot, but I mean, as they are complex, but they don't have to be. I mean, they they don't have to be something that's intimidating. You don't have to know how to to read the cards or to um, you know all the various meanings behind the cards. Obviously, our cards will have their own meaning related to you know the history of of ufology. Uh, but you don't really need to have any of that information to just really appreciate the beauty of the cards. And of course, you know, when it comes to the history of ufology, we will be providing, you know, little explanations onto the, the cards. Each, um, you know, each personage, each card will have its own explanation that people can build off of and learn from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. It's everything, you know, that we've been trying to say, but a little, a little bit more detail to let people know that um, not only is this a uh, deck of cards that you can use for in, insight and personal growth and and uh, basically thinking out of the box, you know, some a randomization of ideas that can be used to create new ones, but it's also... As Miguel knows very well, uh, 
just a nice piece, nice, nice pieces of artwork to appreciate for what they are and for what they represent just in themselves, not just, not, not, not just as a tarot deck, but each in themselves. And Miguel, uh, for your part, you've described, you know, how you joined the, the group and, and what you hope to get out of it. But in regards to tarot, I think you've said, I don't know a lot about it, but I'm learning a lot about it while I'm working on the deck. And so maybe you can describe your experience starting to get more conversant with the cards and what you think they are as a, as a point of view of the artist that's creating them. Right. So, yeah, like you said, uh, uh, being born in Mexico in a may pr- predominantly Catholic society, you get all these uh, prejudices towards things that uh, uh, you, they are, you are told that they are, you know, from the esoteric. Therefore, you know, there's something that you should stay away from them. One of those are the tarot, and yeah, exactly. You know, you get this idea of the gypsy woman in the tent, uh, you know, throwing fortunes and whatnot. So you get that, you know, very, very stupid stereotype. But then, as you, as I began to get more acquainted with the paranormal, uh, being first interested in the UFO phenomenon, and then from that getting, you know, as a gateway to uh, deeper topics and started to, to get acquainted with things about the, the strong influence of Western esotericism in the UFO phenomenon, which is, you know, maybe one, also one of the reasons why these cards are getting so rich in symbolism. You know, because there is this this very strong cross pollination that people who are not that knowledgeable about UFOs might not be aware of. So, uh, as I'm, I'm getting into this project, uh, remember when you just said, "Oh, uh, uh, let's do this tarot card," you know, based on ufology. You know, and at first I did, yeah, oh, well, we, it is cool as a almost like as a pop culture artifact. But then when the group started to really get serious about it, um, I started to, you know, Susan started to explain to us the significance of each and every every card and how she uses them. You really begin to see, you know, how you can apply that symbology uh, and using it, uh, and using the, the ufological archetypes that we're extracting, you know, in order to create something, uh, unique, you know, and, and something that, like you said, you know, it would have been so, it would have been so easy for me just to grab, like, uh, the faces of the people in ufology, you know, like, and sticking them on top of the bare weight tarot card. You know, saying, "Oh well, that's ballet." You know, and and there's only the only thing that's different is is, is his face. But it would have been such a wasted opportunity because as we started to talk about the cards, I started to to imagine the cards and seeing, okay, let's what are the the symbols that we could put in the cards that are related to the the symbology of the tarot, but at the same time are deeply connected. To one, each and every one of these uh, personages in ufology, with regards to ballet, 
his interest in alchemy, his connections to SRI, the Stargate program, uh, you know, his DARPA, connection yeah. with, yeah, with DARPA, exactly. His connections with, obviously, with Magonia, which is probably his most famous books, Passport to Magonia, in which he really started to become almost like a heretic in the field, you know, like saying, you know what? This thing that we're trying to elucidate just through the lens of science uh, is not going to cut it, you know? And it's and then there's all yeah. this other stuff that is <laughs> literally hiding behind the table. In this case, in the case of our table, this little, like, gnome or goblin-like creature that is very tricksterously like peering from behind the table and that and that was kind of like designed in the in the resemblance of someone who was very important in in the life of Jacques Vallée who, who was Aimé Michel you know one of his first mentors so there's this you know there's it's, it's to me it's a journey it is a journey that we embarked upon a couple of years ago that we started to get more and more, more and more serious about, like perhaps at the beginning of this year, in which kind of like almost said to you guys, we really need. If we're really serious about doing the stuff, we really need to to like set a date and do it now. Otherwise, it will forever be one of a nice what if project, you know, almost like uh, you know your your dream baseball league, you know, that you play around with your friends and nothing more. And luckily, we actually managed to pull it off. So we we are embarking on this journey, and this journey has is already set that it's going to be a reality because of thank thankfully because of the great reception that the project uh, you know has you know within just like the moment we announced it. So it is a given that we're going to embark on this journey and it's going to be get more and more excited because either, either even though that we already have a roadmap, you know, pretty much drawn, there are things that we're deliberately like living very fluid and loose as it should be, you know, because this is, this is not only an artistic project, this is not only like a historical project, it is truly a magical project. You know, at least I, I was just going to say that I was just going to say that it was it's, it's like a magical working. I mean, we've spent so much time together, in, you know, these clandestine salons of ours working on this and we literally are manifesting it. And I think it's going to be um, an important contribution to to ufology itself uh, and, and just contemplating UFOs. As individuals, you know, being able to look at this, this amazing artwork and the symbolism within, I just contemplate even one card, um, taking the time to, to admire it like you would any great piece of art. Um, and with those, that symbolism that's within each card, uh, your intuition, uh, gets, um, fired up and you start thinking about new things and, and who knows what can really come out of these cards. Um, whether it's just personal insight or maybe more, uh, I, I really think that they're going to be a great learning tool. And uh, and I'm so, so happy to be part of this project. <laughs> we had this group here. I just 
we were kind of stalled out a bit. We were trying to figure, we were trying to, I think we were trying to figure out a way to create some sort of language that investigators could use with experiencers. That was kind of our first idea. And yeah. that was going along fairly slowly. And then I mentioned this, and as I said before in other interviews and in our other interview here, suddenly everybody was very excited. Because I think that the completion of these cards was actually pulling us into the future and saying, well, yeah, that that exactly is where you need to go. And that's why when Susan said, you know, and, and Miguel suggested even here just a second ago that it was a, a magical working, that's how I've been treating it the whole time. We have we have a goal. Um, we have rituals we go through to complete that goal. And we see the goal as finished in the future which is you know, the uh, techniques I learned as, um, as a student of Western occultism. And some people stay in Western occultism forever, and it becomes a way of life for them. And others, like me, they get what they need out of it. And mine was how to, basically how to see your goals as finished and to move towards them. And as we're, uh, as we're doing this, I kind of swore everyone to secrecy pretty much. And while the while the project gestated, and at a certain point, as Miguel said, he said, we, we have to have a launch date for this or it's just going to keep going. So we set a launch date. Actually, we pushed it back once because of various things happening, mostly in my life. But we pushed it back once and we thought the perfect date to start <laughs> to launch it would be Halloween because of all the uh, magical and uh, mystical associations with that with that date. And now that people are hearing about it, we can be a little bit more open about what we're doing. I mean, still, our process is still us meeting every week and discussing. I mean, we, we just got through most of another card today. And it seems as we get the energy from the Kickstarter and people that are ex excited and anticipating and, and, and wanting to see this, it kind of gives the energy to us to, you know, our creative minds to just go. Because it's funny, it was what we were discussing was kind of stuttering. And then suddenly, bam, we hit some kind of um, something happened and we all these ideas just tumbled out. And we almost, you know, the card came almost perfectly formed, not perfectly formed. It's going to change, just like Miguel says, but a really good idea of how it's going to look emerged within an hour. Some of these have taken weeks. Some of them have taken months and others have taken hours. So um, this is how, you know, the, the, the process is going for us. Uh, and it's, you know, like I said, now we've got this push behind it and it's really exciting to, to see it come together because now there's this new energy infused into it. I thought it'd be nice um, in the time that we have and talk about a couple of the cards and what I told um, Susan and Miguel before this is we haven't really talked about the strength card. It's kind of the uh, it's kind of the stepchild here because people want to talk about Valet and about um, you know Whitley Strieber or the Betty and Barney Hill or J. Allen Hynek for the other cards that we've presented. But strength doesn't really get talked about too much. So maybe we can talk about the um, symbolism of the card, why we picked Andruffle, etc. Maybe M Miguel can start with it. Sure. Well, like, uh, like I remember uh, when we were deciding about the launching of the project, that 
one thing that was very clear to us, and especially, especially you know, for people who have more experience with these uh, crowdsourcing campaigns, is that we needed to have a certain number of completed cards to show to the in the campaign to the backers, so they could see as a proof of concept that we could actually pull this off. If we if we had only shown one card or two cards, I really seriously doubt we had we, we could have received you know as as huge of a response as we have gotten so far. So I remember that you said, Greg, you know, let's go with four. You know, let's go with four completed cards. And after we finished I finished this the lover's card, which is with the Betty and Barney heel, you were very adamant in saying now we need to do a one card with a female figure because most most of these have been so far like with men, you know, the emperor magician. And we all say, yeah, sure. And then, you know, we picked strength and we stand and remember we, Which is we a were. Which is figure on the card. Right. We were, and we were going through the significance of, of, of the card, you know, and, and, and the importance of it. And then I remember that you suggested Andruffle. I have to be honest, I'm really not that well acquainted with Andruffle's work and i'm sure that one of the reasons why we don't talk too much because i'm i'm sure that for the people listening maybe that's same with you jack jack valet is like one of the most easily recognizable figures in ufology and ruffle well not so much but we decided that it, she was perfect for the card strength because she kind of like represented something that is to me is very important in the world of ufology which is like the fight or the the, the the struggle that is the tension that is provoked uh, in in the field we, when dealing with skeptics you know skeptics are like the adversaries the skeptics skeptics are sometimes like the enemy the enemy to defeat almost oh, well that's not really true because the true enemy to defeat here is would be like our ignorance surrounding mm-hmm. the phenomenon right so, yeah i guess we'll, we'll but yeah, we're talking about so, fundamentalist skeptics that just basically have an idea and they try to disprove something rather than prove that there's holes in it and then carefully figure out what those holes might be. They just start out with, this is wrong, this is why it's wrong, and that's that's not skepticism. That's To me, I call that fundamentalist skepticism. So yeah, exactly. not, that's represented by you know somebody like Phil Class. But go ahead. Yeah, Philip Class, exactly this, uber-skeptic. Uh, like it can be the four recent and all these people in theology for a BS. And because I remember that when we were discussing the card and, and, and the card, the figure, the female figure is holding the, the, the mouth of the, of this lion. Yeah. That at first we were, we were considering where, what if we put Androffel like holding the mouth of like a giant black dog, you know, this idea yeah. that is very common in 14 teams, you know. I forgot about that, yeah. And at first we were going with that, but then I think that you you or Susan pointed out how Androffel was always debating all these skeptics like class, and she always stood her ground, and it's not easy, you know. It's, sometimes it's something like, People avoid like the plague going, you know, and uh, butting heads with these fundamentally fundamentalist debunkers 
uh, who don't really see reason, but you, somebody has to do it, you know, like another person who, do it, who did it was Stanton Friedman. Uh, but Androffel was one of those uh, figures that actually, actually think that Philip Klaas respected. You know, maybe he, he wasn't open about respecting these uh, figures within ufology, but I think that he respected uh, Androffel. So the idea that became... Yeah. The idea then, yeah. I, I wanted to read just slightly the, the, uh, for a couple sentences about what strength represents. Um, the woman has tamed the wild beast um, with her calming, loving energy. The lion is a symbol of raw passions and desires. And in taming him, the woman shows that animal instinct and raw passion can be expressed in positive ways when inner strength and resilience are applied. She doesn't use force or coercion. She channels her inner strength to sub- subdue and subtly control the lion. Which is when we read that, we thought, well, that's exactly what she did. She used the force of her will and her very extensive research to say, look, there really is something going on here if you really care to look into it. And that uh, to us, that represents a strength and an inner strength um, that few people, at least now showing ufology, people are usually just showing that they they like to fight with each other. Not that. And, and that's that's why I think it's perfect that she, you know, being this matronly. This is what I love about this card um, is that it, it is she's this matronly figure and she's representing patience and empowerment in the face of danger. And th- and this is what the card suggests. It's, it's an encouraging card. Um, she's using gentleness and kindness to, you know, kind of challenge the, the the skeptic the super skeptic and and tame him so i really think she's perfect perfect and and i love this card i think it's probably one of my favorites um just because it is so rich in that symbolism and it's so perfect uh because of who she was and how she dealt with these you know this type of adversary so to speak yeah mm-hmm. and People may not, I mean, just a little slightly deeper dive into it. I believe strength has like a garland of flowers or something that I can't remember on the rider weight what she has on her head, but there's some sort of garland or crown or something. Mm-hmm. Um, we've represented, Miguel's represented her with um, very rich, deep red roses. Why did, why did you do that, Miguel? Well, aside from the fact that uh, one thing that I've always seeking when designing each of these cards is to put a little bit of ref highlights here and there in order to make make it, make it interesting in order to like uh, direct the gaze of the viewer uh, and that was that was I knew that it was going to be a nice contrast with the deep blue coat that sh- that she's wearing the card which by the way it's a direct uh, relation to an actual, you know, photographs of her. Where yeah, I used wearing... that photo in the video, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the exact same code. That's perfect because, like I explained, I have explained in other interviews, I decided from the beginning to use a very, very limited palette of colors instead of just going with every single color, you know, available. Uh, for reasons that I wanted to make these uh, cards very sophisticated, you know, very classy, and I felt that I, that was the, the the approach that I needed to take, with the exception of using 
red and blue. And and in this case, in order to make that highlight, number one, red roses could could be that, that uh, you know nice contrasting color. And the other thing that I think that Greg wants me to point out is that once we started to study the history of Androphil, who she was as a person, we discovered that she was a deeply Catholic, you know, in her beliefs, and that in, uh, actually in some ways informed her study of ufology. So one way to represent that is obviously with the red rose, you know, red rose, so people, for people who don't know, they are very a very important symbol in Catholicism because it's representation of the Virgin Mary. And also, even even another interesting thing is that with the Virgin Mary, uh, the easiest way to portray the Virgin Mary within religion religious iconography is to put uh, a woman wearing a, a blue coat. You know, that's like you mm-hmm. know, like Catholicism one hundred and one. So. Again, yeah, putting the, 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 yeah. the um, what should we call it? The uh, I can't remember that this the patron saint of Mexico. Um, oh, Guadalupe. Yeah, Virgen de Guadalupe has um, a, a blue cloak as well, so people you know, they can visualize that. Yes, Renaissance art, everything. Yeah, so I guess that is one of the reasons why I decided. Okay, aside from putting a, a like a crucifix on her on her uh, neck. Another pretty too cool obvious. and symbolic way, yeah, too obvious maybe, but putting the red roses as a as a crown on her on her hair on her head felt like a very a, 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 a more subtle and a nicer way to represent her faith in Catholicism and her mm-hmm. feminism too. Her the fact that she's a exactly. strong female, um, you know, character, ufologist. And and again, that's what I really love about our cards is that they're so um, unique and well-researched. So the symbolism is very deep. And and like I said, contemplating each card can really gain new insights and and give a richer idea about who these people were and their place in ufology. and and I think it's really it's it's just so beautiful. Like I said, the card to me is is stunning. I really love it. Thank you. And the other thing about the card that people might not know is that, or all the cards actually, but since we're talking about strength, is in the background. That is, people know her for most famously for her uh, book, uh, Tahanga Canyon Contacts, which she co-wrote with uh, D. Scott Rogo. In the background, that is actually a a picture of a waterfall in Tahunga Canyon in California, actually about 10 miles from where I live. And that tree there was not, it's not an accident. That's in the photo. And it looks very symbolic. We were almost toying with the idea of making it into a candle, like a, like a very subtle candle by putting fall colors on the tree, but decided not to do it. And the other thing is we didn't know what to put because in the, on the strength card, there's just yellow for the sky, I think. Yeah. And for some reason, actually, the, you know, Miguel found that image, but the the behind her is a topographical map from the you know the geological survey of the actual Tahunga Canyon. And I thought it'd be interesting to you know graphically to have that represented behind her head. And which what's kind of funny is it almost ends up looking like a halo. Um, the, yeah. the 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 um the topographical lines on the thing. 
And so yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. And then the, there's a symbol over her head. The symbols are actually symbols that were recalled and uh, hypnotically uh, in her book, Tahunga Canyon Contacts, from the abductee she was working with. Yeah. Yeah, a symbol that looks like, looks like uh, the number four. Yeah, like but a Jupiter. Actually, yeah, it's like a representation of, of Jupiter, yeah. Actually, the that the that symbol, I think it's called a lemnus gate, the 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 uh, uh, infinity symbol. It looks like a ha- sideways eight infinity. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was all. Not only is it in the uh, card, I, I was that in some of the symbols that they came out, or was that just the Jupiter symbol? Oh, what are I can't. Okay. I can't remember, but uh, um, Miguel, uh, mostly Miguel, decided to put that symbol in there um, to emphasize, you know, her 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 strength and her um, resilience uh, as as you know, kind of a closed loop of infinity, like nothing would change it and nothing would would knock it down. So yeah. just another representation of her strength. So, yeah, because at first I tried to to make the number, the infinity number, composed of these little, you know other symbols, the, the, yeah. the Jupiter symbols, they didn't work. They didn't work graphically because uh, it were, they were too small, so people wouldn't even notice them. So that's why, you know, you, you try to like, come up with a, you know, a, a good graphic solution. Yeah. I wanted to talk about another card, but we, we've actually talked about the other cards extensively. And just this little discussion about strength, number eight, gives you an idea of sort of the thought that went into it, the graphic um, uh, design and uh, the artistic thought that went into how that these things will look. We have a nice template from Pamela Coleman-Smith, but then we're taking it a step further and adding in our own symbology, our own subtext, our own even stories that move throughout the cards. For instance, class appears on one of the other cards as well, or at least we're planning to have him do that. And that becomes part of the story of the cards. It's a very unique story. I, I think we should emphasize, too, that you really don't need to have a, a background in tarot or or even an understanding of um, the, the, the Waite Smith deck um, to appreciate our cards because they're, they're, they have a pattern that is similar, but they are unique and they are telling the, the true social history of ufology and some of the people that have shaped it. And so, so like I said, you, it's, it's wonderful if you have that, but you, it's not necessary to love and appreciate and work with these cards. Also, if you look at there's a little booklet with it, with a little explanation. And if you choose to get the actual um, coffee table size book, there is a lot more explanation sort of pretty much to the depth of what we've discussed, discussed the strength card here. However, and Miguel's pointed this out in interviews, there's some things that we probably will never describe or say anything about uh, in the way that, you know, I was talking about how David Lynch, they'll ask him what something means, and he'll say, I don't know. He might or he might not. But the thing is that if he describes that to you, he has closed you off from any personal connection, any interpretation that will make sense to you that that is that is more deeply personal and more symbolic to you. And so that's part of the reason why we're just not going to describe every single solitary thing that appears on the cards. And we've already had yeah, exactly. people come back to us and notice stuff that we didn't even notice when we did the cards. Yeah, lots of yeah, Easter like eggs. For example, <laughs> yeah, but like I was looking into the magician card the other day and I noticed how I 
for some reason, I decided to put five uh, Rosicrucian symbols embedded within our spider web, you know, the cup web yeah. that is in the lower right corner. Why I chose five, I don't know, maybe because that was the number that I, I, that I ended up looking that I liked. But that was, the other day I thought, well, maybe those five represent us in, 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 the, in the UFO project, you know, myself, yeah. Greg, Susan, uh, Josh, and David, you know. But, I mean, that could be a, an interpretation, but it's not necessarily the one that I had in mind. You know, because I didn't have not, nothing, you know, specific when I just chose, okay, let's put five instead of six or seven. Yeah. And that could mean that to another person holding that card, it could it could mean something else. Entirely, um, exactly. So yeah. that's the magic and the beauty of these cards. Yeah. And, you know, whether whether someone is, is well-versed in ufology uh, or is just a newcomer, and is interested in learning more about the social history and in a fun kind of unique way. This is, this is the way to do it, I think. Yeah. yeah. They are objects of contemplation and art as well as, uh, uh, part of a tarot deck. And, uh, the minor arcana, the 56 that will come later will continue this tradition and opens up a huge amount of information and history that we can um, examine, learn from, and communicate to people. Because doing these cards, we're learning stuff too. I, I, I didn't know lots of things about the people that were doing the cards, that we're representing on the cards, and I'm learning while I'm doing that. So it's a journey for all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we've described pretty much our, our uh, process again and what goes into very detail what goes into making the cards. So all of us thank you and hope that... Uh, you're interested enough if you haven't contributed to the kickstarter campaign please do and in a year you'll have a beautiful box of the major arcana and then in a year or so after that possibly we have no idea yet on the timeline the minor arcana the other cards will be produced and will be loaded with symbolism and information and easter eggs as, as susan said as well thanks susan thanks miguel Thank you. Thank you. And as as we go through the process, we'll do more of these and we'll we'll touch base with everyone. Yes. Uh, updates yeah. will come as we finish each program. Yeah. Yes. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thank you. Bye. Ciao, right. ciao. In the race to the moon, in the race to the moon. Oh, Mr. Spaceman. You sure have started something, oh Mr. Spaceman. Don't you know you got my heart thumping, oh Mr. Spaceman. I wanna be a spaceman too. No sir, it's a pa-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-ma-
sir, son, it's Pepper Map, Map, Map 2.